19, if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 1095. We'll be reading the first 12 verses. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being set out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked and crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we ask this morning that you might speak to our hearts and challenge us. Help us to take what is given here, apply it to our lives, and follow it faithfully. May the wisdom of your truth and light give us strength and courage to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of weeks ago when I was last here speaking on this passage, we looked at three points from the first few verses. We are all called to worship. The call to worship the Lord is universal to the whole world, but the call to worship the Lord is compulsory to every believer. We are all called to worship. Worship requires an investment of our time, our minds, our hearts, and our life. And we saw that God responds to those who worship well. Those who worship well receive his blessing, receive his provision, receive his protection. And those things are eternal. They're not just temporal in this life.
That's how we know that we have worshipped well is when we receive God's blessing. They saw it as a visitation or a message from the Holy Spirit. And they saw it as a call to ministry. That was the Lord's blessing. We need to see that as well in our lives. Sometimes we think that God's blessing comes to us in comfort and peace. Sometimes his blessing comes to us as an assignment. A call to worship him called a minister. We need to see that if we're going to be obedient to the Lord. Because we worship him in our obedience. Many of you are familiar with Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Verse, beginning at verse 13, the Lord himself said, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Lord used salt and light as an illustration. He kind of used them as metaphors to describe the people of the Lord, the people who followed God. Salt in that day, as it is in many places today, was used as a preservative. It stops decay. I remember seeing a few years ago, I believe it was on public television, where they had a series, they, they found some people who would be willing to leave their jobs for a few weeks and go back in time. They set up a village, a fishing village up in Maine, up in the northeast, where they were going to live like people lived 100 years ago. They were given a budget. They were told them, this is what you're, you're going to be a fisher, fisherman. And this is the, you have to catch the fish. You have to sell the fish. You have to provide for your home. And one particular family had a very good day fishing. Oh, this is nothing to it. With fat, caught more fish than he expected. He brought it back. He was given salt. You need to pack it and put it in this building to preserve it, and they didn't know how much salt to use, and they didn't use enough. Within a day or two, they could smell it all the way up at their house. Sometimes a church called to be salt, to preserve the spiritual decay in this world, is not salty enough. We're also called to be light. Sometimes we do not shine that light enough. Christian, do you want to be salt and light? Do you want to see God's presence in your life? Do you want to see his power in your life? You need to be spending more time in prayer and more time in the word. Both both personal time as well as corporate time. Personal worship and corporate worship come together into the house of the Lord. We need to be worshiping the Lord well, and we need to be worshiping the Lord faithfully.
The book of Acts gives us an account of events as early as, as the early church grew and as the early church flourished by the authority of the preaching and teaching of the word and by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It's exciting to read the book of Acts. We kind of wish that we could see the same kind of things happening now. We would see more of it if we spent time, enough time of prayer in the word, in worship, being salt and light. These stories, these accounts are exciting, and we're going to walk through them these next few months as we continue in the book of Acts. These are helpful. They teach us what the church was supposed to be, and they teach us what the church was supposed to do. Three points I'd like to see this morning. Diverse by example, faithful with passion, bold without compromise. The church was diverse by example, faithful with passion, and bold without compromise. We are all called to be priests to the Lord Most High. The whole church is a kingdom of priests that requires some responsibility. Ezekiel chapter 3, the Lord told that prophet, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear the word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. The church is supposed to be a watchman. The faithful preachers of the church are supposed to proclaim the truth boldly. All that God has told us should be proclaimed boldly, but the church the church has failed. As we look at our points this morning, we want to see, first off, the church was diverse by example, and I believe that it was providentially intended. It's been accused, some have accused church, particularly in the West, they've said Christianity is a white man's religion. That's a lie. Don't believe it. In our text, it says there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, and a member of the court, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod, and Saul. They mentioned five names, prophets and teachers. It's really quite interesting. When you think about history of this time period, Roman Empire if you can divorce yourself from the middle picture you get from the Hollywood movies, the Roman Empire was not lily white. They had conquered many nations, they had conquered many races, and it was more of a melting pot, much like the United States of America is. And when the gospel came, it first came to the Hebrews whose complexion was more of an olive color, as it's described, as well as the Samaritans. 
And then the ministry of the gospel went to North Africa and Egypt, darker skin there, long before it was ever received in Egypt, excuse me, in Europe. And as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see that these men, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, who was called Black, that's what the name means, Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, some commentaries have even linked this man to the Cyrenian who helped Jesus carry the cross. Cyrenians were black. And then you have Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. You remember Herod the Tetrarch? That Herod was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And here Menaean was in his court. He is described, when you look at the text, this was someone who was a foster son in the family of Herod. He grew up in his home. He was in Herod's court, hearing the gospel preached and proclaimed by John the Baptist. And it converted him. Here we have a mixed bag of the elders of the church of Antioch. Different races, different colors of skin different areas, different regions of the world, all coming together. And these men, fasting and praying together, getting instruction from the Holy Spirit, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. The Dictionary of African Christian Biography, Clinton Arnold declares, what is most notable about these five is their racial, culture, and social diversity. Their representative diversity emphasizes the cosmopolitan character of the Church of God used at the foundation of the Gentile mission. The passage specifically reflects the influential importance of the African diaspora in early Christianity. According to Daryl Bach, God is gifting the Church without ethnic distinctions. Ponder this as if the African, as with African eyes. Mark, Lucius of Cyrene, and Simon the Black were all together in Antioch, praying and fasting and participating in the Spirit's mission to send chosen vessels to the first missionary journey. The church began under the authority of the Holy Spirit that came through an interracial session, Board of Elders. So if you hear someone proclaiming that Christianity is a white man's religion, they are either ignorant or they are lying. Diverse by example. You, my brother and sister, are no longer defined by your race. You are no longer defined by your social standing. You are now defined by Christ Jesus. You are on equal ground, equal footing with the poor man if you were wealthy. You are on equal ground or footing if you are a 
educated person, you may claim brotherhood with those who are uneducated. Someone who proclaims the name of Jesus, homeless on the street, they have as much grace in Christ as you do. And you are admonished to love them as brothers or sisters. Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 11. Remember that you at one time were Gentiles in the flesh, called by the Hebrews, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. In other words, Paul is saying at one time, you Gentiles, you were not even worthy enough for a Jew to cross your threshold. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers in the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his own flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians 3 also says this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are one in Christ. Our identity is first found in him. Diverse by example, it includes black and white, Oriental, Native American, Indian, Russian, Afghani. Maybe you are not comfortable around people who are not like you. I understand other people have different ways. Other people are kind of, it's sometimes a cultural thing, but it does not mean that you need to be afraid of them. It does not mean that you should hate them. We should be reaching out to them. You need to pray. You need to pray for them. You need to do all you can to love them. We are diverse by example. And we see that example throughout the book of Acts. We see it here in our text. We also see they were faithful with passion. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Holy Spirit gave them instructions, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. They were ministering in prayer and the word. They were worshiping well. They knew what to do because the Holy Spirit responded with his blessing. God-given authority 
was exercised that day. How much does the Bible and prayer influence your life? You might think it's a lot. I know many of you are faithful believers. But if I don't think my life has enough prayer and study, allow me to challenge you. You could never have enough. Shane Rosenthal of the White Horse Inn commented, Today it appears that Christians from every denomination are being shaped and formed by social media, Netflix, and 24-hour news media more than we are by Scripture. But if the gospel of Jesus Christ really is the greatest story ever told, why do we so willingly settle for less? We do it all the time. We hear the news media and we are filled with fear. I'm convinced they want you afraid. In order to escape here, we don't go to the Word. We go to Netflix or some other distraction. We need to be in the Word. We are called to be faithful with a passion. The Bible says fasting and praying or praying and fasting after fasting and praying they laid their hands on you really have to love Jesus to want to fast You really have to love Jesus to want to do that. I remember, this is a personal story, but it illustrates the point. When my wife and I first met, wow. We were so taken with one another. Met in December. First date in March, late March, early April. We were married by August. And I remember one particular time I had come to pick her up. And she happened to mention that she hadn't eaten in two days. And she said, why? I asked her why. She said, I couldn't think of anything but you. I felt that small. I didn't deserve that kind of love. But she was fasting. She loved someone. Why can't we love our Lord like that? Oh, she eats all she wants now. after fasting and praying, laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. They went from Antioch down to the port city of Seleucia. They booked passage for a boat. They sailed to the island of Cyprus. Came off in the port city on Cyprus at Salamis. 
and they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They started to work their way around that island until they got all the way to Paphos. They came to shore on the eastern end of the island. They went all the way down to the western end of the island. They were traveling and sharing the gospel along the way. You have to really be in love with Jesus to do that kind of work. Most of you have traveled before. You've enjoyed it. You've done it for fun. And that's okay. You have not sinned. But those brief periods of traveling, they're stressful. I mean, you enjoy it, but you just get tired of living out of a suitcase and you're glad to be back home. These guys did it as a lifestyle. They didn't have highways like we do today. They didn't have airplanes like we do today. Their journey, their travel was long and arduous. And much of it was on foot. Traveling like that is taxing. You have to love the Lord to do that kind of work. What about long-term travel? You and I, we, some people have careers that require them to travel a lot. Even that becomes taxing. If you've ever known a missionary who's been on the field for quite some time, they will explain to you that the first few years are the most difficult because they literally go through a culture shock. Everything is different. Everything is, and they have to acclimate themselves from what they grew up with, what they knew in the United States to what they had have on the field. And many of them who've been there now consider the mission field their home. But there are many missionaries who go to the field that don't make it five years because they can't get through the culture shock. Paul and Barnabas... This is their first missionary journey. They traveled hundreds of miles preaching the gospel. Modern missionaries travel thousands of miles and spend their lifetimes sharing the gospel. Why do we struggle so hard with going next door? Paul and Barnabas were faithful with passion. We're faithful Where's our passion? They were also bold without compromise. When they had gone through the whole, verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Allow me to pause for a moment. Luke's beginning to use different names here. He's trying to relate to a Greek reading audience as well as a Hebrew reading audience. So when he talks about Bar-Jesus and then later on Elemas, it's the same man. His Hebrew name and his Greek name. 
And he's about to do it again with Saul. He talks about Saul as his, with his Greek name, and then he talks about Paul, his Roman name. And this is where we begin to see Paul used throughout the rest of Acts. They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, or son of Joshua. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, also Bar-Jesus, or son of Joshua, same man, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here the Apostle Paul gets to have a conversation to bring the message to someone who had some authority. A proconsul had a higher ranking authority, had more authority in the Roman government than Pontius Pilate did or Herod did. This was an important political position and to get the gospel in this man's heart and the gospel influence in this man's office would have been strategic. And here this false prophet tries to stand in the way. Verse 9, Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. He went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I do not believe that this man saw this miracle and was convinced. I believe that he was already, the seed had already been planted. Paul had shared the word of the Lord with him because it says he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The seed was already there. This was just something else that amazed him. If you read the book of Acts and you think, boy, I wish we could do that to declare blind every false prophet we know. That would convince a lot of people. I don't know. The Lord Jesus himself said that even if a man were raised from the dead, some would never believe. Sometimes when we preach the gospel, this mist of darkness, this mist of blindness comes over people's hearts. God hardens their hearts because they just refuse to believe it's there, we just don't see it. Paul was frequently bold and fearless throughout his ministry. Christ was also bold and fearless in his preaching. The Apostle Paul very rarely pulled any punches when he preached. He was 
often blunt. There were some times when he used some wisdom, as in Acts 17. We'll learn about that later, but he used some wisdom in presenting the gospel, but very often his preaching was so bold it made people angry. How many times was he stoned and beaten? One time he was left for dead. But he got right back up and went back in. The church from time to time throughout history has been bold. But in our modern times, not so much. Many of the ministers that lead the church that are well-known ministers are false prophets. Called to be watchmen on the wall to warn against the enemy coming into the church. They've turned around and become critical of what's in the church and tried to tell the church that the people outside who do not believe are right. We need to be nice to them in order that they might like us. church from time to time has been told has been bold but in our modern times not so much Ephesians chapter 5 the apostle Paul said let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience therefore do not associate with them For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Listen carefully to these next two verses. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Two verses, verses 11 and verse 12 of Ephesians 5. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? It's either a contradiction or it doesn't fit or both of them need to fit. We need to understand them. I remember when I was a youngster, about a teenager, family talk, mom and dad both involved, talking about growing up, you know, that conversation you have with your kids, and how I was supposed to be careful with what I looked at and where I went and what I thought about. And I remember my mother referring to this verse. It's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. And I knew what she meant. But I know now she took it out of context. She didn't do anything wrong. And I think a lot of people do. I have. But in studying this, if you place it in context, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but, ex but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. You... Put them together, and it makes sense. If we are to expose the things of darkness, 
God is telling us we are sinning if we don't. Don't keep it secret. Don't talk about it in the secret. Expose it. The false prophets, the errors of the day, even the bad decisions of the politicians. The church needs to know the danger that's going on outside the kingdom in order that we may know how to live within the kingdom as we reach those outside the kingdom. In modern times, the church has lost her saltiness. True light in the church is hard to find these days. We've all been shocked by the events this past week, particularly the things in Afghanistan. The United States military was there and things were, for the most part, calm and orderly. And suddenly they're withdrawn and things go crazy. What you have seen is a very quick and fast illustration of what happens when you remove the preservation of salt and then the rot comes in. The church is supposed to be salt and the church is supposed to produce light. The prophets and the shepherds and the preachers, the watchmen, who are supposed to protect the church from spiritual darkness are pretty much failing. Many have allowed it in. They got to where they feared men more than they feared God. But we're not supposed to be that way. The church is supposed to be diverse by example. We're supposed to be one in Christ. We're supposed to be faithful with passion, a love for the Lord, and a fear for our God more than the fear of men. We aren't supposed to be afraid of them. We're supposed to be bold without compromise. We do not surrender the points of truth that Scripture teaches us. We proclaim it, and we don't move. Shall we pray? Father, we're thankful that your word is truth and light. We're thankful that you have called us to be salt. Help us, Lord, to become a light to this world, a light to this community. Help us, one step at a time, Reach out to people who are lost, sharing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may win them. We ask and pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. As we continue to worship the Lord,